0: Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. That's our scripture reading tonight. Who do men say that I am? Or who do the crowds say I am? Jesus asks his disciples in our text. And then they give him the same answer that we hear earlier in the chapter. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others say one of the prophets of old. But who do you say that I am? He asks for their answer. And Peter answers for the disciples, You are the Christ of God. Jesus asks us those two questions tonight. Who do the crowds say that I am? And we see a lot of options out there. People say a lot of things about who Jesus is. There are those who outright ridicule Jesus, denigrate him, take his name in vain, There are those who have a a certain amount of respect for Jesus as a good man. There are cults who say Jesus is the Son of God, but they don't mean what the Bible says that means. Every option except one is the wrong option. Someone quite famous, once said this about Christ. And I'm going to read the full quote. I still can't help wondering how we can explain away what to me is the greatest miracle of all and which is recorded in history. No one denies there was such a man that he lived, that he was put to death by crucifixion. Where is the miracle I spoke of? Well, consider this. And let your imagination translate the story into our own time, possibly to your own home, your own hometown. A young man whose father is a carpenter grows up working in his father's shop. One day he puts down his tools and walks out of his father's shop. He starts preaching on street corners in the nearby countryside, walking from place to place, preaching all the while, even though he's not an ordained minister. He does this for three years Then he is arrested, tried, and convicted. There's no court of appeal, so he's executed at age 33 along with two common thieves. Those in charge of his execution roll dice to see who gets his clothing, and those are the only possessions he has. His family cannot afford a burial place for him, so he's interred in a borrowed tomb. End of story? No, this uneducated Propertyless young man who left no written word has for 2,000 years had a greater effect on the world than all the rulers, kings, emperors, all the conquerors, generals, and admirals, all the scholars, scientists, and philosophers who have ever lived, all of them put together. How do we explain that? Unless he really was who he said he was. That's attributed to Ronald Reagan. Who do the crowd say that I am? And then we've got to make it personal with that second question. Jesus asks you tonight, who do you say that I am? What do you say in response? If he were present before you. And in a sense, Jesus is present when his word is faithfully preached. Who do you say that I am? Ask Jesus. What do your actions say? What does your attitude say? What does your language say? What do your priorities say? Who am I to you, dear follower of mine? Lesson 12 gives us a threefold answer that outlines for us the offices of the Old Testament church. I had those underlined when we read them earlier. There weren't pastors or deacons among the old testament people of god it was a different time but there were some special offices the office of prophet priest and king and each one had a unique purpose each ultimately pointed to jesus who was to come and jesus perfectly fulfilled each one of those roles those offices for the benefit of his people and the title christ gets at that threefold office Who is Christ? Who should people say he is? Well, he's our chief prophet and teacher. He's our only high priest. And he's our eternal king. This answer reveals these three beautiful realities about our beautiful Savior. First of all, we see the essential priority of Christ. The essential priority of Christ. we read he is our chief prophet and teacher. And what I want to focus in on more than prophet and teacher is that little word chief. That he is our chief prophet and teacher is more important today than ever before. That chief is so important that it makes Christianity Christian. Muslims say Jesus is a great prophet but not the last and greatest prophet like Muhammad. Mormons worship Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God, but they understand those words differently than Christians, and they listen to Joseph Smith as the prophet we must all ultimately reckon with. Even a lot of Jews will recognize Christ as a teacher sent by God but not greater than Moses or Elijah, certainly not fulfilling Moses and Elijah and all the prophets. But Jesus is the chief prophet. He's the one and only person who makes known the Father, John 1.18 says. He's the only one who reveals the exact nature of God, Hebrews 1.3 says. As a prophet and teacher, he came to show us the way, and to declare God's will, but as the Christ, as the chief prophet, he didn't come just to reveal and tell us about God's will, but he came to fulfill God's will, and he laid down his life not just as an example of the way to get to God, but as the way to God through him. We read, he perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. Second, in that, high, that priest office, we're shown the absolute exclusivity of Christ. He is our only high priest. And that's why Protestant Christians have pastors and ministers, not priests, The priesthood has ended in christ in the old testament the main role of the priest was to offer sacrifices to god and then for that person to once a year enter the holy of holies on yom kippur and make atonement for the people the book of hebrews says that's all ended We need no more priests because we don't need any more sacrifices because the one and only sacrifice has been made, and that's Jesus on the cross. Priests made atonement, and they made intercession. Christ died once and for all to make atonement, and he prays for us now. That's what intercession means. He prays for us continually, repeatedly. He's the greatest priest, the last priest, the only priest we need. We read, he has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and continually pleads our cause with the Father. Third, connected with king, we're shown the supreme ascendancy of Christ. We read that he is our eternal king who governs and guards us. We read that he governs us. In other words, he rules us by his word and by his spirit. One pastor puts it like this, talking about the word and the spirit. Many theological stray cats have been sired by separating word and spirit. You know, what it is to, you know what that means? It means there have been a lot of problems that have happened because people have separated the Word and the Spirit in churches and in their lives. But he governs by his Word and Spirit. Word without Spirit is just dead letter. Spirit without the Word is hopeless relativism. We need both in our lives, in balance, not one without the other. And we strive for that balance at Faith CRC, in our worship, in our ministries, in all that we do, word and spirit. And you should strive for that balance in your life too. Christ governs us by his word, and and that means we have objective truth in a relativistic age that doesn't seem to care a bit about truth. And if they do, it's just truth for you, truth for me, and it's getting us into a lot of messes. The fact that he governs by his spirit means that we, his people, can have personal and real experience of God and his presence in our lives. Word and spirit... That biblical balance, that's a whole nother sermon for another day. He governs by his word and spirit, and he guards. Good kings protect their people. Christ keeps us, we read. He, he keeps us. We don't read that he keeps us happy, healthy, and wealthy, we read that he keeps us. Free, He keeps us in the freedom that he's won for us. He won't let us fall to the devil. He won't let us offer ourselves again uh, to the bondage and the slavery of the world and of sin. As eternal king, his power is all extensive. We don't always sense... And Or experience that. And the reason that is, is there is an already not yet nature to the reign of Jesus. And that's good for us to remember and know when we get discouraged about sin in our lives. And we're like, is God, is Jesus really king of my heart and life? Is he really... Governing my life. That's good to remember when we get discouraged looking at our own struggles or when we get discouraged because we read the news every day. Jesus reigns, but not everyone has yet bowed the knee. And Satan still roams. We get the picture in the Bible that he's on a leash, he's on a leash. He has not finally been put down and put away like he will at the end of time when Jesus returns. So the world does not yet fully experience the reign of Jesus Christ, but we will in the new heavens and the new earth. So those are some of the biblical facts. The crowds then, first century A.D., The crowds now will say what they will, but Jesus is the Christ. And those three offices give us the rich fullness of what that means. This is what we need to claim for our own. It's what we need to proclaim to the world, no matter what the crowds say, because the world needs Christ to be exactly who he says he is, exactly who he is. The second question from our text, who do you say that I am, is then there for you and me to answer. In other words, who is Christ to you? What difference do these beautiful biblical realities make? When we believe in Christ, we get, intimately connected to who Christ is according to this question and answer we read we are Christians which that word literally means that we are little Christs and it means that we are ordained to fulfill those three offices not at the same level Jesus did and does but in a lesser way It's like the little boy who struts around acting like his dad. We live with our eye on Jesus Christ, his threefold office that we just kind of scratched the surface on tonight. His threefold office, that is our threefold calling. The answer says that when we belong to Christ, we are anointed to reflect him. It sounds like something a Pentecostal might say. We're anointed. We don't, I don't think we use that language a whole lot. But yes, you are anointed because by faith you're a member of Christ and you share in his anointing. Think about that. Cherish that. Take it seriously. Walk around like that. You are anointed You're anointed of God in Jesus Christ. May that inspire you in your life. This answer says, As anointed people, we confess his name like good prophets. We present ourselves as living sacrifices like good priests. And we fight our mutual enemies and reign with Jesus like good kings. Something that I find helpful when I look at this is that it seems to me this threefold calling gives us the biblical balance of the head, the heart, and the hands. Our sharing in the work of prophet has to do with the head, confessing, Jesus is our chief teacher, Our heads, our minds. Part of our calling is to grow in depth and knowledge and understanding of God and His Word. Paul calls us in Colossians 1 to grow in the wisdom of God. Then In Romans 12, he talks about the renewing of our minds. How are you serving little Christs with your head, your knowledge, your understanding, your mind? How can you grow in that part of your calling? Our sharing in the work of priest has to do with our hearts. Priests dedicated their lives to God completely. And when you think of dedicating to something, dedicating to someone, you think of giving them your heart. And that's the depth of our being, includes our emotions, Our feelings, but it's even deeper and fuller than our feelings and emotions. What does your heart yearn for these days? When when you look around you, what causes your heart to ache? Where have you given your heart? Pray that the answer to those questions would be God and the things of God. And kings, what do they do? They rule, they act, they do stuff. That's our hands. And we're called to do that as well. Faith without works, without deeds is dead. We serve others. We're active. And I know you are. And we have some pretty amazing ministries in our church that, that help us serve others and serve those in need. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ of God. Who are we? Small Christs, Christians, sharing in his anointing and his calling as prophet, priest, and king, living the balanced Christian life with our head, heart, and hands. What if in the week to come, if your devotion plans aren't, totally set in stone, or maybe you could add this to your devotions. What if we were to focus, what if you could focus on each of those three areas? Prophet, priest, and king. Where are things at with your head, your mind, your heart, what you're dedicated to, your hands, what you're doing? Meditate on where you are. Meditate on where God might be calling you to go and to grow. There's six days ahead of us till the next Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Focus on each area head, heart, hands. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, repeat. Where might God be calling us deeper? As anointed little Christ. I want to end with Colossians 1, and I'd like you to turn there, if you would. Colossians 1, beginning at verse 15. This is an amazing statement of who Jesus is. I want us to meditate on this. I want us to adore Jesus and have a fitting response to who he is in our lives in the week to come with his help. 15 through 23. It's a decent amount of verses, but I'd like us to read them out loud together. Colossians 1, 15, Let's read. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant.